Every one of us, when we grew up, started off as young children trusting everybody. You believed that your mom and dad wanted what was best for you, and your aunts and your uncles, and your brothers and your sisters, and your next-door neighbors, and the policeman, and the little safety person with the bamboo stop thing when you walked over to school. Do they still do that? They did that when I was a kid. I'm sorry. And they, you know, you, you just trusted policemen, and you trusted priests and pastors, and you trusted everybody. Somehow along the way of life, life has a way of picking off every person that you trusted. Mom and dad got divorced. You heard of a priest who took advantage of children. A pastor messed up. A teacher did something they shouldn't do. Politicians did things they shouldn't do. And then you get to the stage of adulthood when you walk into a place and go, who can I trust? Who's really sincere? As a matter of fact, don't think that that doesn't affect you when you walk into church just like this. That you walk in and you wonder who, you know, what, what are the pe people's motives here? And what, what does the pastor really mean? And what are they doing with the church money? And do they really want to help people? And why are they doing that? And, and you don't realize that a lot of times the enemy has two battles. One is the overt one everybody sees, but the other one is the covert one. That's the hidden battle. Some of you were at a church or at a church situation where, where, where you left there because something healthy wasn't happening and you think, good, I left that place, but you came here and you don't realize that the seed sown by the enemy into your heart is, who's going to hurt me here? Have any of you ever been hurt by someone you love or been hurt in church? Raise your hand. Okay. I, I want to make you an our Savior's church promise from headquarters in Lafayette. Are you ready? Here's the Our Savior's Church promise. Here's one thing I promise you. You will be hurt in this church. You say, Pastor, why would you say that? Because the people that get hurt are hurt because of people. Someone said hurt people hurt people. And so as long as there's people there, you have the potential to be. How many have ever hurt somebody you didn't mean to? Okay, that's most of you. How many of you hurt somebody and you meant to? Okay, that's all of you. The first people, I feel you. The second people, y'all are just plain bad. Let me just go ahead and say it right now. You're probably thinking bad things about me right now. Why is that Mexican here? Donald should have built that wall before he came. I mean, you, you're probably thinking all kinds of things even now. Why did he call him Donald? He's the president. He should have called him President Donald. I, I met him, I know him, introduced him, prayed for him, all of that stuff too. And he needs prayer just like everybody else you know does. But you say, Pastor, why would you say that, that we're going to be hurt here? Because all people inadvertently and sometimes with, with, with intention hurt other people. You say, well, Pastor, I don't want to be in a place where I get hurt. Well, then let me encourage you to do three things that will really help you. Number one, don't get married. And everybody married said? Amen. Amen. I mean, you hurt, you, know, you didn't know that I wanted you to do that? No, you don't know what that look means when I tell you it's time to go? Which look? This look. I thought that was your mad look. That was the I'm mad look. You should know what the I'm mad look. We've only been married three months. Do you want to make me mad again? 
<laughs> I mean, all of us do that. Here's the second thing. If you don't want to get hurt, don't have kids. Amen. And, and let me tell you something about having children. Okay, ladies, when you give birth to them, they put scars here. And when you raise them, they put scars here and here on your knees. Teenagers, look at me. Look right here carefully. Shut up! I just want to say that on your parents' behalf. You'll be saying the same thing when you're our age, too. Thank God for grandchildren. That's a reward for not killing your kids. Now, Pastor, why, why, why are you saying all of this to us? Because I want you to know that the enemy's always after more than you think he is. And the spirit of our age is to be skeptical and critical and judgmental of everyone. And you don't realize that part of the prerequisite of being a Christian is that you have to love people who may hurt you. And that you have to love God even though you might not understand what's happening and it may feel like he's hurting you. And you might go through circumstances in life when you think, okay, my mama hurt me, my daddy hurt me, my brother hurt me, my sister hurt me. I got hurt at church. Okay, God, you've hurt me too. And then allowing the enemy to come and plant a seed in your life. You see, the devil's first lie to Eve in the garden was not, there is no God. You know what the first lie was? Eve, eat of this tree. Eat of this tree. And she said, no, God said, I couldn't eat of that tree. I could eat of all these other trees, but not that one. And he said, you know why God doesn't want you to eat of this tree? Because God doesn't want you to be like him. He's keeping something good from you, Eve. The lie you can sit right here in church is not to say, okay, I'm not an atheist, Pastor. No, you might not be. But there could be many areas of your life where you've been hurt so you've not trusted God in those areas of your life because you think he might hurt you too. My favorite pastor that comes and preaches at our church for many years was my best friend, Pastor Tim Delina. And he was our favorite traveling speaker. He would come once a year. We would have five nights of spiritual renewal or four nights. It was amazing. And three years ago, he came and joined our staff. He pastors the Lafayette campus where they'll have about close to 3,000 people there today. But now that he's here, like they say in St. Martinville, we're used of him. You ever heard that? We used of him. So, so, so we had to find a favorite traveling speaker to come in, preacher to come in. And so we have one now, and his name is Dr. Darius Daniels. Have any of you ever heard Dr. Darius? I would encourage you, go on YouTube and just put in Dr. Darius Daniels. Phenomenal. One of the best preachers in America. He was preaching at our church. He comes once a month and rotates between our campuses. So he'll be at Broussard one weekend, Midtown another one, laughing with and he was preaching, and I was listening to him, and he said something that just, just, just helped me. You see, what helps me when preachers preach is not, here's two things to do, but what helps me is when they show me something about God that I didn't see before, or something in Scripture that I've read many, many times before, but I, I just never got it. And it helps me just to see into a window of something that I thought I knew, what was there, but it's much more than I thought. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
Like you've been reading the Bible and all of a sudden something jumps out of a verse that you've read a hundred times and you never saw it before. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Remember, when large groups of white people don't respond to me, it reminds me of all the teachers that failed me. So how many of you know what I'm talking about? Thank you. That makes me feel much, 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 much better. Here's what he said. He said, you don't get the God you want, you get the God you see. You don't get the God you want, you get the God you see. And then he used this passage that's found when Jesus comes home to his hometown in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Look at what happens. Jesus comes to his hometown, all right? He's turned water into wine. He's raised the dead. He's walking on water. He's feeding 5,000 people out of a happy meal. He comes to his hometown. Hometown boy comes back to Jennings. Here it is. And here's what people said. Is this not the carpenter, the son of, the brother of, and Joseph's and Judas and Simon? And are these not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Now let me show you something about how we get offended, the measurement of offense. Here it is. What your expectation is, and then what actually is delivered to you. That gap is called offense, disappointment, missed expectation. Jesus came into his hometown, and instead of them seeing the Son of God, they saw, whoa, they saw, they saw a carpenter, a carpenter. They saw a carpenter. God came in the flesh to their town, and all they saw was a carpenter. Now listen to what Jesus says in the next verse. A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and among his own relatives and among his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And as only Dr. Darius Daniels could say, if all you see is a carpenter, then all you can get is your porch fixed, your roof fixed, your garage fixed, or your house fixed. But if you see a Savior, if you see God in the flesh, you can get your life fixed, you can get your marriage fixed, you can get your kids fixed, you can get your cancer fixed. When you clap, that encourages me and makes me feel loved. I feel so special now. Thank you. What happened? Now, Jesus was Jewish. Now, we know that he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. And the region in the area was called Galilee. It was a fishing area. He was raised in Delcom. He was raised in Delcom. He wore white Delcom slippers, them white shrimp boots. He, Jesus was raised in a fishing community. And when Jesus comes back to his own hometown that's completely Jewish, let me tell you what that means. They pray three times a day. They face Jerusalem and pray. They wake up in the morning praying and singing. In the middle of the day they pray and sing. And at night they pray and sing. And they quote the law of God. 
That means that people that got up that morning and prayed and read their Bible and sang to God had God come in the flesh to their house and did not see Him. And not only did they not see Him, they were offended at what they did see. Is it possible that we can pray and ask God to do something for us and when He comes to do something for us because it's not in the way we thought it would come that we become offended with God? Why did my husband go through that? Why did I get laid off? Why did we have those health challenges? Why did we go through this financial thing? Why are my siblings acting this way when my mom and daddy died? And that we become offended with Jesus. And the scripture says he could not do many mighty works there. Only he healed how many? A few. I love the message translation says it like this. He was not able to do much of anything there. He couldn't get over their stubbornness. Is it possible that there are areas of our life where we're disappointed and offended with God so you're saved but you're still bound in areas and addictions and habits in your life because what is available to much of your life is only experienced in a few areas of your life. Because you don't get the God you want. You get the God you see. You get the God you see. All they saw was a carpenter. And so he could not do much for them. Why? Because the God you see is the God you get. Say that with me. The God you is the God you. Now, I'm going to read to you two storm stories from the Bible. Storm stories. How many of you have ever seen those people on TV, Storm Chasers? I mean, like a storm comes, like Katrina is coming. What do we do? We pack up everything and head out. You know what these fools do? They pack up everything and head in. How many with me, you believe those people are on crack? How many believe if you run in the middle of a storm, you're stupid? Raise your hand. And then you're dead. But we did video the last minutes of your life. I mean, that's insane. Actually, many people have died doing that. So these are two storm stories from the Bible. Here's Jesus, Mark chapter 4. Mark records the story and he says this. And on the same day when the evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the, to the where? Remember, that's real key. Other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was and the other little boats also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and waves beat, keyword, into the boat. Not beside the boat, into the boat. So that, he was all, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern. The stern is the what? The back. The back. He was in the back. And he was? And he was asleep on a now remember, this is all written in retrospect. Mark isn't in the middle of the storm going, we're in a storm. Peter's driving the boat. It's bad. Scratched out. Real bad. Scratched out, scratched out. Real, real, real bad. Then watch this. Scratched out. Jesus is asleep. On a pillow. 
snoring, slobbering at the side of his mouth. Jesus was exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Throngs of people are coming around him, and he's so exhausted, the only place he can get a break is in water. And so he gets in with his disciples and says, go to the other side. And while they are, a great storm comes up. He's in the back of the boat, and he's on. Now, do you know why Mark writes these details? How many of you have ever been like waiting for one of your children or relative to go somewhere? How many of you got relatives that are always late? How many of you got relatives that are going to be late to their funeral? Okay, that's the only time being late pays off. And, and they're going to be late. So here's what, you, you, you know, like you said, well, I was, you know, you're waiting for somebody at the house to come so y'all can go somewhere. And you wait and you wait and you're looking at your clock and you're texting and you're calling and they're not answering and, and you know, all of a sudden, they show up an hour late with the Starbucks in their hand. I'm ready. Where have you been? Oh, I wanted to get a Starbucks. I wanted to laugh yet. I'm over here waiting for you, us all together waiting in the car, and you went all the way into Lafayette, and you come in here, tra-la-line with a Starbucks? See, you remember the details. You are miserable, and you're trying to contrast. You're miserable. You're waiting. They're tra-la lying with the Starbucks. Mark writes, and he says, all of this storm is going crazy. They're terrified, but Jesus is. And not only is he asleep, he's asleep on MyPillow.com. And then they awoke him. The storm didn't bother him. Then they awoke him and said to him, Teacher. say it loud. Well, what do teachers do? Remember, he's writing this in retrospect. Jesus was trying to teach us something, but we didn't get it. Teacher, do you not? Has anybody ever said that? Jesus, don't you care what I'm going through? Don't you see what's happening? And it gets worse. Teacher, do you not care that we are? What's another word for perish? I mean, there's two kinds of I don't care. Like, what you want for dinner? I don't care. Okay, th that's one I don't care. But when you say, teacher, don't you care? I'm dying. I'm dying here, Jesus. I'm dying with my kids. I'm dying with my mate. I'm dying with my finer. Jesus, I'm dying. I'm dying. The enemy's design is to get you to question the character of God so that the only one that can help you and pull you out and carry you through, you stop trusting. Don't you care that we're perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the disciples. Then he arose and he said, Peter, shut up. Then he arose and he rebuked the and said, and said to the sea, Shalom, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, we thought we were afraid because of the winds and the waves. We are now more afraid of you 
than we were of anything out there. Now watch this because this is so powerful. Here, Jesus is standing up in the middle of the storm and does he calm the disciples? You know what? He calms what? Do you know why? Because at that point it was a whole lot easier to calm the storm than it was to calm the disciples. Could it be that there are storms that God wants you to walk through and know that Jesus is in the boat with you and because he's in the boat with you, that's enough? You don't have to be a little immature Christian. Remember when you were an immature Christian, you got saved and God answered every one of your prayers? Like, God, help me. And then like, you pull up to your favorite restaurant and there's your favorite parking spot. Thank you. Jesus, help me on my job. You get called in the next day. You deserve a $5 an hour raise. Thank you. When you're young, all your prayers are answered. You're like that little baby where parents always say yes to everything. But then you got to grow up. And then you got to learn to ride out some storms. And see Jesus in the boat with you and say, even though all the storms are breaking loose around me and turmoil around me, I don't have to worry. Jesus is still with me. He's still with me. Storm number two. Sound of the book of Matthew. And immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the there it is, other side, twice. Hey, if I'm the disciples and Jesus said, let's go to the other side, I'm going like, dude, I'm not doing that. Last time you said other side, we almost died. I'm not going. Let's go to the other side. You know what's crazy? How many of you have ever gone through the same temptation and the same trial and failed repeatedly? And you say, Jesus, when is this storm going to pass? When is this test going to pass? Look right here. The test will pass when you pass the test. The test will pass when you pass the test. There's a difference between seasons and cycles. Seasons are everybody goes through trials. Everybody goes through times when things are great and things are challenging. That's seasons. A cycle is if you keep going through the same thing over and over and over and over. A cycle is a self-imposed storm. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples go on the boat to the other side. And while he sent the multitude away, where he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountainside by... Now remember, this is written afterwards. He's emphasizing this. By himself to pray. Now when evening had come, Jesus was... So Matthew's trying to tell us something. We're telling you where Jesus is. Jesus is by himself. Jesus is praying. Jesus is worshiping. Jesus is listening to Hillsong and Christian radio and in fellowshipping and having communion and enjoying the presence of himself. And he was alone there. Look at the next verse. But the boat, that's where we were, was now in the middle of the, tossed by the, for the winds were contrary. Now in the fourth watches, which is between three and six in the morning of the night, Jesus went to them walking on. And they said, it's Jesus. Right? No. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were troubled at his saying and said, It is Casper. It is a ghost. Okay, now there's just a question, just a simple question. Do you think when the storm came up and Jesus was, with, was not with them, they now know Matthew's recording that he was all praying by himself in a mountain? Do you think that they cried out to God? How many say yes? How many say no? How many say you don't know? Stick with the yeses. All right. Of course they prayed. Of course they prayed. So in answer to their prayer, Jesus shows up. And Jesus shows up and they said, it is a ghost. They cried out of Why? Because the difference between you seeing God in your storm and you seeing a ghost in the storm is your view of God. It's your view of God because you don't get the God you want. You get the God you see. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, be of good cheer. It is I. In other words, peace. It's me, your boy. I heard you. I was chilling on a mountain. <laughs> be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. And on the water. So he said to him, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on to go to He walked on the water. This is good. Peter wishes this verse ended right here. There would be pictures of Peter in every boat. Peter, the master of the sea. I mean, there would be. But watch what happens. And when Peter saw that the wind was, he was, and beginning to, he cried out. Now watch this. So he's walking on the water. What happens? What's the difference between him walking on the water and him seeking? Say it loud. Peter's focus determined his future. When you are in the middle of a storm, your focus determines your future. As long as Peter was focused on Jesus. What was he doing? What happened when he took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking at the storm? Listen to me. You're going to go through cancer with challenges. You're going to go through children challenges. You're going to go through health challenges. You're going to go through money challenges. But the difference between you sinking or you walking when other people sink is are you focused and fixed on Jesus or not? Because when you are focused on Jesus, what's causing other people to drop left and right, you're walking straight through it. You're walking straight through it. We have a guy in our church, his name is Brian Collada. When, when Brian got saved, his bill at a strip joint was $10,000 a month. And whenever I say anything like I just said, you can hear him in the whole church and go, that's good, pastor. That's good. He don't care what campus he's at. He's with them rich white people in Lafayette, and all of a sudden they'll be all be able to go here. That's good, Pastor. That's good. Everybody goes. I go. Don't mind him. He's been delivered from hookers. He's happy. 
Have any of you sunk by putting your eyes on the circumstances around you instead of keeping it focused on Jesus? If you have, say, I have. Okay, but here's the great thing. Jesus does rebuke him, but guess what else he does? He helps him first. And when he began to sink, he prayed, Lord, hey, you want to know the prayer that works? That's it right there. You don't have to pray the Our Father. You don't have to pray the Rosary. You this is the shortest prayer that God answered instantaneously. Lord, help me. There's times when we don't know what to say. There's times when we feel like we're sinking. We don't know what to do. Sometimes all we need to do is just cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me. Help me with my kid. Help me. Help me with the... Help me, Lord. I'm afraid. Help me. And put our focus on him. Think of all the questions the disciples asked in these storms. Don't you care? Why did you send us alone? Jesus, why do you send us into storms anyways? Why did you show up and scare us? Like, couldn't you have said, like, couldn't you have shown up looking like that picture in Mama's bathroom? You know, right, that big rug Mama had in the kitchen. Couldn't you have showed up, like, looking like that? Why did you have to show up looking like a ghost? I'm convinced Jesus didn't look like a ghost. It was their fear that clouded who they saw. Because you don't get the God you want. You get the God you see. God is speaking to some people here right now. He's speaking to some people here right now where the enemy has wounded you through points and times in your life, and you've allowed that wound to now become the place through which you lens, through which you see Jesus. So, Pastor, what, why, why are you telling me all of this about storms? Because I am a spiritual meteorologist. Let me give you Lafayette terminology. A weather forecaster. That's a big word for weather forecaster. Because everyone here is either in a storm as I speak to you today, coming out of a storm and enjoying this season, or getting ready to go into a storm. So I want to equip you for all of them. You say, Pastor, how do you know? I've been walking through storms for 46 years. 46 years. When I got saved in a junior high school, praying with an African-American counselor in the hood, I went home and told my daddy and my stepmom what happened to me. And they got so excited, they kicked me out of the house. <laughs> I'm like, people could stand up at church and go, what has the Lord done for you? I go, well, I'll tell you what he did for me. He just got me kicked out the house. And then you know where I had to move into? I called my mom. I said, mom, could I move in with you? Daddy and my stepmom, they kicked me out. My mom said, you know, I told you she was a wench already. You should have stayed there anyways. And she gave me the address of where she was. And when I pulled up, it was a bar by the ship channel in Houston. And that's where I lived for the next three and a half years every day when I came home from school. So Jesus blessed me so much, I got kicked out of a home into a bar. I thought that was supposed to happen in reverse. <laughs> when you got saved, you're supposed to leave a bar and go to a house. 
And it was there that God began through the storms of life to shake off of me things that needed to be gone and to teach me to trust Him and to build my life in a way that it would not be shaken in life storms. I can't tell you how many times I walked out in front of my mama's bar. They had pictures of naked women the size of this screen right here. Almost. And I would walk in front of my mama's bar, walking around just praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, praying that God would keep me, praying that God would use me, praying that one day I'd be able to make a difference in people's lives, walking around in front of my mama's bar, preaching to people who came in the bar, putting scriptures up on the wall, repent, no drunks will enter the kingdom of heaven. It was there. Those storms were forging. The enemy meant them to take me out, but God meant them to build me up. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. You say, Pastor, well, why would God let something like that happen to you so I could come to Lafayette when I was 19 and lead Pastor Bubba to the Lord? Who was 18, just got kicked out of his senior trip smoking dope. Oh, don't act like you ain't smoked a little weed before. Oh, I know some of y'all going to pastor that. I would never. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You attended Reverend Jack Daniels Church, though. You and Pastor Daniels were close friends. He laid you down to sleep every night. So, Pastor, what, what, what should we do? How do we build our life to stand in life storms? Let me give you three ways. Number one, hold on to the promises of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. Let me say that one more time. Heaven and earth will pass away. That means stars can fly out. That means that planets can change. That means that all kinds of things can happen in the atmosphere and stratosphere. But God's word will never, ever change. You see, Matthew 7 is probably one of the most misunderstood passages in the whole Bible. It begins with these words, judge not lest you be judged. And then it tells you three ways to judge. It says you will know them by their fruit. Then you will know them by their works. And it finishes with this story in chapter 7. The end of chapter 7. There were two men, Jesus said, that built a house. One built his house upon the sand. And another one built his house upon the rock. And the storm came. The same storm. Say it with me, same storm. That means that you could get laid off just like your neighbor. That means that when a flood comes, it could hit your house as well as somebody else's. That means if some of your children go demon-possessed, how many know children can go demon-possessed? There's some demon-possessed children up in Lake Arthur. I've been preaching Lake Arthur since 1981. There has been some horrific things happening in Lake Arthur. Horrific. People think it's just a little town. Little towns got big devils. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good now. They, they do. These communities do. These devils get down and they hide generationally in families and they wait for somebody like you and I to come and to break them free, to bring freedom to families. They have generational alcoholism, generational immorality, generational addictions to break those things. And Jesus said that when the storm came, the house that was built on the sand collapsed and great was the fall thereof. That means there were great consequences. And then it says, but the house that was built on the rock, 
it stood firm. Same storm. There isn't a Christian storm and a non-Christian storm. Same storm. The difference is when you build on the Word of God. And Jesus ended up by saying this, And he who hears these words of mine, these sayings of mine, and obeys them and does them, will be like he who built his house upon the rock. God doesn't promise an equal beginning for anybody. I started out in the barrio, in the hood. But he does promise equal outcome if you build on his word. And that outcome is the storms can come. You might have been raised by no daddy, no mama. You might have been raised in an orphan. God doesn't promise equal beginnings because the world's not fair. But if you build on the word of God, he promises an equal outcome. Build on God's promises. Hold on to his promise. Secondly, hold on to his presence. When Jesus was in that storm, he was in the roughest part of the boat. He was in the back. I know some of y'all go, no, no, pastor, that, that, that's the best part. Yeah, if you have a motor. If you got a motor and you can, you're in a storm, you turn towards it, you turn that motor on and you face those waves and you go through it. They had sails. When the wind got bad, they took the sails all the way down so that they didn't rip them right off. Now watch this. The storm, the disciples are in the front in a panic. Jesus is in the back asleep at peace on a... Okay, the disciples are in chaos. Jesus is in the back calm. The disciples are screaming, we're going to die. Jesus is slobbering on the side of his face. What's the difference? Same storm? Were they both in the same storm? Were they both in the same boat? Well, the only difference we know is Jesus had... What was he sleeping on? A pillow. This is my favorite part. Are you ready? Hold on to his presence. John chapter 14. Jesus is about to leave. Jesus is about to leave. He's telling his disciples, he starts John chapter 14, they've left everything to follow him. Wives, children, jobs, businesses, tax collectors, doctors. They follow Jesus. And Jesus starts saying stuff like, you guys, I'm leaving. And they're going, what? Yeah, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. I'm going to build a place for you. And if I go and build a place for you, I'll come back and bring you to myself. That's what he's telling them in John 14. He gets to the end of this chapter and listen to what he says. But I'm going to send somebody. There you go. But the, 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 the. This is, this is the amplified version which gives you the fullest meaning of the Greek language, the original language. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send something back for you. He's going to be the comfort, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, and the standby. I love this word, comforter. How many of you like, like sleeping with the cold in your house? Raise your hand. My, my goal is to get the, the temperature in my bedroom the same as my age. I can't get there yet. I'm 60 now. I can't take 60, but we usually sleep somewhere between 67 and 69. And sometimes I sneak up there and put it on 66. I'm not lying. Okay. But at the end of my bed, you say, Pastor, why aren't you freezing? 
Because at the end of my bed, my wife has this big, beautiful thing, and it matches all of our bedspread and the pillows. I mean, when I, when I grew up, we just had like one pillow. Women got like 900 pillows up on there. I guess they want that to throw at us if they ever get angry or something. Gives them ammunition. But, but right at the end of my bed is this comforter. So people will walk in the room and go, Ooh, it's cold. How can you stand it in here? I go, it's easy. When it gets real cold, I just pull up my comforter. I pull up my comforter. And what other people find uncomfortable, and what other people find miserable, when other people say, how can you stand this? How can you go through this in this room like this? I say, it's easy. I have my, I have my comforter, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to talk to Him. I want to encourage you to pray to Him. Because Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my, He's in Jesus' place. Jesus said, in one storm, you saw me. In the other storm, I saw you. In one storm, you thought I didn't care. In another storm, you thought I was nowhere. I saw you, but I am sending the Holy Spirit in my place to represent me and to act on my, what? To act on my behalf. If you think I would hug you, he's hugging you. If you think I would cover you at that moment of fear, he's covering you. If you think I would lift you up and carry you, he's lifting you up and carrying you. He's there on my behalf, the comforter. Then he goes on to say, next, next, next verse. Peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give you, not as the world gives. What is he saying that for? Because the world gives and takes away. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my you in every and give you and for every that's his presence for you and me. His presence. Listen to me. You need the promises of the Word of God, but you need the presence of God. You need the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's times when you need to just hold your Bible. You may not even need to read it, but you just need to hold that thing and walk around and talk to the author of it and ask the Holy Spirit to come and comfort you and surround you and guard you and guide you and keep you and cover you and carry you. Here's the last thing. Hold on to your perspective of God because that's what the enemy's after. He's after your view of God. And you go, Pastor, how, how can you? I mean, you're, you're passionate about all this. How, how are you so fired up about this? Look at me. Because I've walked through life's greatest storms. My mom and daddy kicking me out. That was easy. My mother looking at me and telling me I liked you better when you were on drugs. That was easy. My daddy hearing me preach for the first time and saying, you don't need to preach, you need to be a comedian. Yeah, thank you. That was easy. Walking through rejections in life and disappointments, I always had my pastor and I always had the church at spiritual family. Raising children, walking through betrayals, disappointments, all that we have all done. All of you have walked through that in life. But three years ago when my son was killed a half a mile from my home, 
run over while he was on his motorcycle just going to get a hamburger by a lady who was careless and didn't see him. That, that, that was something else. But can I tell you this? The comforter has come. He came. He came. And calling out to him. And holding on to God's promises. And trusting him regardless of what I felt like. It was C.S. Lewis that said, God can't be a figment of my imagination because he's nothing like I ever imagined he would be. Today, I can say with great conviction, I know where my Wesley is. He's in the arms of Jesus. And when I pray for my children three times a day, I get to his name and I say, and thank you for Wesley who is in Jesus' arms. And when I drive by that street that I drive by 20 times a day where he was run over, 20 times a day, I thank God for him every time. I refuse to believe he was taken by somebody else. His life was in the hand of Jesus. His days were numbered by him. The son of God's years were named 33 and my son's was named 20. And he wasn't taken, he was given. He was given. That's why, and that's the comfort I want you to know. Would you bow your head with me? Holy Spirit, I thank you for every person here. I thank you for the faithfulness of every parent, for every young person that's endeavored to seek you with their whole heart. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would surround them and keep them. I pray that your angels would surround them, Lord, in every way and hedge about them. I pray for those that are walking through storms now, Lord. Be with them. Cover them, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, cover them, comfort them, carry them. In Jesus' name. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they would not see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. Maybe I've been christened or baptized, but I've never prayed to be born again. Can I tell you something? Until you do, you don't know that you're spiritually alive. My birthday's June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday's the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a chemistry lab. That day at 14 years old, I was born again. God became my Father. Jesus became my Savior. My sins were forgiven, and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me, that comforter. Today, have you been born again? If Jesus said, unless you've been born again, you won't see the kingdom of God or enter into the kingdom of God, it's the most important question of your life. The answer to that determines where you spend eternity. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again, Pastor. Would you pray for me today? Today, I want to be born again. How can I do that? By A, admitting you're a sinner. By B, believing Jesus Christ became God's sin bearer. And he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die in your sin. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm the only one that's looking. If you're here and you say, Pastor, would you just pray for me? 
I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Pastor, would you pray for me today? I want to be born again. If that's you, would you lift your hand right now? I want to see it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Put your hands down. Anyone that didn't raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to join these 16 here in the last 10 seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 16, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest, Pastor. Would you pray for me? I need to be born again. I know you're asking this second time just for me. If you've already raised your hand, don't raise it. But if you didn't and you should have, raise it and wave it at me right now. Join these 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. I see that. Okay, now church, we're going to pray out loud with all of those that raised their hand to be born again. Let's pray out loud with them right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And by faith, I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. 